Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are our top stories. Houthi terrorists release videos of their recent cargo ship hijacking and hostage taking in the Red Sea. And Israel's military continues to put out footage of Hamas tunnel shafts and weapons in hospitals and mosques. Plus, hear what one terror suspect had to say about the Red Cross building he took shelter in. The White House shares its view on what a proposed new Palestinian authority could look like after the war. The gag order on former President Trump may stay on appeal. We'll tell you about one possible concession that it could come with. A clash of leadership styles. We have the details of the upcoming red versus blue debate between Governors Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. Elon Musk is pushing back on the so-called watchdog group Media Matters. We have more on a new lawsuit filed in Texas. Will there be a mass exodus at OpenAI? Most staff say they'll quit unless their fired CEO is reinstated. But has the threat come too late? The Thanksgiving season is upon us and we have some tips for holiday travelers and shoppers to save their hard-earned money. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Today is Tuesday, November 21st. Yeah, I'm really excited about Thanksgiving, and hopefully that storm won't keep people from visiting their loved ones. Are you traveling? I won't be, but I will be for Christmas, though. Well, yeah, listen, I'm not traveling either, and almost with the reports of the weather and record traveling numbers, I almost feel like I dodged a bullet there. But you know what? I think it's going to be, uh, if you know what day to travel, and um, we'll have a meteorologist later on for the specifics. Got to have the right strategy to navigate. Right. Things will be smooth. All right, and today's top news is about Israel and Gaza. Houthi terrorists released footage yesterday showing their hijacking of a cargo ship and its crew in the Red Sea on Sunday. The videos show masked terrorists on speedboats and a helicopter putting a squad down on the ship's deck. The terrorists take control of the bridge and 25 of its crew members hostage. Some are wearing headbands with the Palestinian flag and Hamas spokesperson on it. The U.S. is demanding the immediate release of the ship and its crew. IDF spokesman Jonathan Conriquez spoke on the attack on international shipping. Houthi terrorists uh, who are trying to make a statement here, and this is basically Iran pulling the strings behind the scenes, trying to apply more pressure on Israel. This should be a concern for the entire world. Israel's military has continued to release videos of Hamas infrastructure under and around Al-Shifa Hospital. A blast door found in a tunnel over the weekend has not been breached yet. Over fears, it may be rigged with explosives. The IDF says troops there are looking for more shafts built by Hamas and that it will put everything on display for the world to see when the search is complete. The IDF also went over Al-Shifa's CCTV footage from October 7th showing what it says are Hamas operatives bringing hostages back from Israel. Hamas claims the video shows the two men in the video brought in for medical care. The IDF says they would have, to ha- they would have had to pass at least five hospitals on the way from Israel to Al-Shifa. Footage of a weapons compound in a mosque shows RPGs, mortars, and other explosives stored inside. Terrorist interrogations are also being released. One employee from the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry says a Red Cross building his family took shelter in was used daily by terrorists to store rockets and guns. He says workers there knew but did not dare to confront Hamas. He said Hamas operates there because the IDF would not strike a target with 40,000 civilians in it. So far, the IDF says it's interrogated roughly 300 terror operatives and suspects. Next, we examine Israel's war on Hamas in the context of international law regarding war. Please welcome combat correspondent Michael Yan. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Can you start by telling us what the international laws of war are? Good morning from Guatemala, actually, a place where uh, a, a, a sort of genocide actually happened in recent uh, genera- or a generation ago. 
And so the laws of warfare, these are these are laws that have developed over time to respond to, uh, you know, so-called war crimes. And I say so-called because those are in the eyes of the of the beholder, of course. Right. And it's interesting, for instance, I've, I've seen so many instances and in actual wars that I've been in, for instance, one firefight that I was in in Basra one time with British forces. I think the forces I was with killed maybe 30. It was a long firefight. Went on and on and on, thousands of rounds fired, uh, tens of thousands probably. Uh, actually, it was a really vibrant firefight. And then years later, uh, ended up in big war crime, uh, uh, crimes trials, right? And I, I don't know whatever came to that. I, interestingly, I was never called as a witness, even though I was the only outside witness there. Uh, and I was taking videos and photos. So what is a war? A war crime is very subjective. Uh, and, and what is proportionality in, in war? That is also extremely subjective. And that's a question that constantly comes up. There's only a few constants in war. One is, one thing is actually highly predictable about war is that wars are highly unpredictable. And they spread. And, and the lies uh, are deeper than the seas. Now, when it comes to, for instance, these hospital, the hospital in particular that people uh, keep talking about in, in Israel, this is a sort of standard argument that, you know, I, I remember in Iraq and Afghanistan and other conflicts I've been in, uh, we would get fired upon from mosques and, and hospitals and ambulances were used to transport weapons and, and, and fighters and that sort of thing. Now, according to the laws of land warfare that I was raised learning almost, I felt like I was becoming a lawyer sometimes when I was in special forces. We went through so much training on, on the laws that we must follow. And uh, for instance, we were never to fire on a hospital or obviously not a school or, or a, an ambulance and that sort of thing. However, I mean, if somebody is using an ambulance to transport weapons or fighters, that actually in and of itself is a war crime, right? And by the way, when it comes to war crimes, you are obligated to report war crimes. There is no statute of limitations on war crimes. If you do not re uh, report a, a war crime that you witness, that is a war crime and no statute of limitations, right? But so if you're Michael, using a hospital for, go ahead, sir. Yeah, that's, that's really good firsthand experience that you're bringing to the table here. And I wanna know now, the international law, like you were alluding to, says that if they're, if combatants are actually using a thing like a hospital, civilian infrastructure, then that is now considered a military target. And we've seen the IDF video showing actual ammo and guns inside the Al-Shifa hospital. So has Israel been following the law here and providing enough evidence to support its attacks? Of course, again, that's going to be highly subjective. If they were using the hospitals to... Uh, if if there's a tunnel entrance under the hospital that's being used as anything at all with storing weapons, storing food for soldiers, storing water for soldiers, uh, if soldiers sleep there or hide there or use it as a command center, that is now a military headquarters. That is now a military facility of some sort, right? So if that is being used, if a hospital, a clearly marked hospital is being used as a military facility, that is a war crime per se, right? Now, if... Uh, now again, there's the, there's also that there's the there's the courtroom maybe in the Hague or some other place, but there's also the courtroom of public opinion. So and and and, and we know we we can see uh, video from ten different directions of a crime on the streets of Atlanta, and nobody can decide what happened when there's high resolution video from multiple directions, police video and cameras from the bank and everything else, audio, and people still can't decide what happened, right? It's the same in war, only even more confusing. Many of the firefights that I was in, I was in countless firefights and bombings and, and that sort of thing. Even when I was physically present, often I really wasn't really sure what happened other than we got into a big firefight, right? And, so Michael, and, and likewise, I just wanted to get your see... assessment on one thing really quick. Just really great what you're saying here. If there is no consensus on the actual death count that's coming out of Palestine right now, like, for example, Biden saying that he doesn't trust the civilian death toll based on what Palestinians are giving, then how is it possible to assess whether or not this is a proportional strike? What's proportional? Of course, that's the big first question, because the Israelis have said for many years that, you know, the people that they're facing embrace death while the, uh, while the uh, Jewish people embrace life. Uh, you know, that's basically a, 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 a summary of the talking points. And, and that's true. I mean, what is a, a, a proportional death toll? Now, keep in mind, there appears to have been a major war crime on October 7th. Why did Israel not actually see this attack coming? 
uh, that beggars belief, actually, and, and also that it took more than seven hours for the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, to respond to the attack. Something's wrong there. Obviously, something's wrong. That looks like a Glywitz moment for those who know what Operation Glywitz was. That was a time when German soldiers dressed up as Polish and murdered Germans and then blamed them and then invaded Poland, right? That is exactly what this appears to be. That would be a war crime of, that would be a crime of Israelis against Israelis. Something's wrong with that, and that needs to be addressed. But we know that the death tolls cannot be counted on from either side, from any side. Uh, no, nobody is trustworthy in this conflict. No Very dubious death tolls, especially considering that Hamas has a reason to promote its propaganda by inflating these numbers. Michael Yan, combat correspondent, thank you so much for your analysis. Thank you for having me on, and uh, happy holidays. And disappointment and frustration. Some family members of Israeli hostages described their feelings after meeting with members of Israel's war cabinet late yesterday. A cousin of a hostage shares his thoughts after hearing that taking down Hamas and rescuing those abducted are equally important. This is incredibly disappointing because I feel that at this point, when we know that taking down Hamas, we keep hearing from them, is going to take months or years, and it's going to take a long time. On the other hand, the other objective is time-sensitive. People are dying. We know that for sure. Thousands of family members recently finished a five-day march from Tel Aviv to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's house in Jerusalem. The Prime Minister eventually promised they could meet with members of Israel's war cabinet. Hamas terrorists took about 240 hostages during the deadly cross-border rampage into Israel on October 7th. The White House yesterday briefly discussed its vision for a proposed new Palestinian authority after the Israel-Hamas war. National Security Spokesman John Kirby says what that would look like depends on the Palestinian people and would mean a Palestinian authority that has the credibility, legitimacy and support of all Palestinians. Kirby also cautioned the press about using the word genocide. He says the word needs to be used appropriately. Watch. But this word genocide is getting thrown around in a pretty inappropriate way by lots of different folks. Uh, what Hamas wants, make no mistake about it, is genocide. They want to wipe Israel off the map. They've said so publicly more than one occasion. In fact, just recently. And they've said that they're not going to stop. What happened on the 7th of October is going to happen again and again and again. And Israel is not trying to wipe the Palestinian people off the map. Israel's not trying to wipe Gaza off the map. Israel's trying to defend itself against a genocidal terrorist threat. Yesterday, President Biden answered yes when asked if he believes a deal to free some hostages is close. That was at the annual Thanksgiving turkey pardon at the White House. Israeli officials say Hamas took over 230 hostages, including Americans, during its October 7th terror attack. The U.S. believes 10 Americans are among them. And Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has announced $100 million in new military aid to Ukraine. Austin announced the aid package while on a surprise visit to Kyiv yesterday. We gathered up some 50 countries from around the world to, uh, to work together, provide support, uh, to, to Ukraine as it does its work. Um, but again, no matter how bad we want it, without the kind of help that you're, you're providing, it, it doesn't work. This is Austin's second visit to Ukraine since the war began. The first visit came shortly after the war started, when global sentiment was very much against Russia and nations were eager to support Ukraine. This has now changed, and many are questioning the high sums of financial support countries are sending. Ukraine aims to beef up its ability to make weapons independently through ventures with international arms producers. It's a response to concerns about potential shortages in Western supplies. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Ukraine and the U.S. are actively working toward joint arms production. And a federal panel of appeals judges seems inclined to uphold the gag order on former President Trump. There may be one important change to the order, though. We'll tell you what that change could be. 
And nearly three-quarters of young Democrats favor Palestinians over Israelis in a new poll. We'll break it down for you. Get ready to rumble. Red versus blue. DeSantis versus Newsom will break down the upcoming one-on-one -on -one battle. Good to have you back. Former President Trump could see his gag order reinstated in the D.C. election case. A court grappled with the terms yesterday and seemed to indicate that some limit is needed. Here's our legal correspondent, Arlene Richards, with more. Mr. President! An attorney for former President Trump facing a three-judge panel after appealing a gag order that he says limits Trump too much. The order is unprecedented and it sets a terrible precedent for future restrictions on core political speech. District Judge Tanya Chutkin sided with federal prosecutors last month when she signed an order that set restrictions on public statements made by Trump. Statements that federal prosecutors argued threatened and harassed potential witnesses and public figures. At the moment, the appeals court has paused the order as Trump continues to fight it. Trump's attorney, John Sauer, refused to back down on his argument that the order strictly violates Trump's free speech rights. A judge on the panel of Democratic judicial appointees brought up the responsibility to protect witnesses in the case. If he were to communicate, pick up the phone and call someone that is known to him to be a witness, prospective witness in this case, and speak with that person without counsel present, would, could, would that, that would violate the, the restriction undoubtedly. Would the First Amendment protect that communication under your test? We have not contended that. It's not what I am asking. I'm asking you to apply the test that you propose us, because we have to write a test that can be applied, and we have to know how it's going to be applied. So I'm asking your position, your legal position, the gag order also prevents Trump from making statements about special counsel Jack Smith or his staff. The court pressed the government's attorney for answers on why Trump can't criticize prosecutors. Why can't the defendants say A, B, and C, whoever is the prosecutorial team in the particular case, bias, cases, anti-American, whatever con deplorable adjectives. I think in context, I think you'd have to view that as, as basically the meddlesome priest problem. Why is he mentioning individual line prosecutors but for holding them up to, to um, uh, scorn in the public? The court seems poised to reinstate the gag order with some changes that will loosen restrictions placed on the former president. A ruling will likely come within the next few days or weeks. Regardless of what the decision is, it is expected that this issue will eventually make its way to the Supreme Court. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Democrats appear to be divided when it comes to Israel's war against the Hamas terror group. And a person's age may reflect where they stand. That's according to a recent Kinnipiac poll. In all, 56% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning voters approved of President Biden's handling of the conflict. But when you break it down by age, the poll shows only 24% of those under 35 approve of Biden's response. That compares to 77% of those 65 and older who support Biden on the issue. And that divide is also apparent when it comes to which side they sympathize with more, Israelis or Palestinians. Nearly three-quarters of Democrats younger than 35 said Palestinians, while 45 percent of Democrats 65 and older responded with Israelis. And on a different topic, 90 minutes, no audience. The details are in on the debate showdown between political heavyweights Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. The clash will highlight the differing leadership styles of the two governors. The pair will grapple over economic issues, inflation, immigration and crime. They'll try to persuade the nation that their vision is what the country needs. Fox News is billing the event as DeSantis versus Newsom, the great red versus blue state debate. Sean Hannity will host a debate on Thursday, November 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern.
DeSantis trails former President Trump in most polls for the Republican nomination. While Newsom has thus far ruled out challenging President Biden, some see his recent trips to China and Israel as an attempt to raise his profile for a possible presidential run. The Supreme Court yesterday rejected an appeal from Derek Chauvin. The former Minneapolis police officer was convicted of murder in connection to the death of George Floyd. Chauvin's attorney saying the officer did not get a fair trial due to fear of violence that could unfold if he was acquitted. Floyd's death in 2020 triggered nationwide riots after a bystander's footage showed Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck for approximately nine minutes. Floyd's autopsy report showed heart failure and drug use factored into his death. Chauvin is currently serving a prison sentence of more than two decades. The Media Matters versus X Zaga continues. We have more on a new lawsuit X filed and an investigation by an attorney general. And OpenAI employees call the board of directors too incompetent to lead. Hear demands of staff who are threatening to quit. TikTok under fire again after disinformation is allegedly amplified on the platform and the question of how involved the Chinese government is in the company. Welcome back. Good to have you lift off in a legal case involving the social media company X. Elon Musk made good yesterday on his weekend threat to launch a quote, thermonuclear lawsuit against the so-called watchdog group Media Matters for defamation. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the case. It all began with a Media Matters report published last week. The report claimed that researchers found ads for companies like Apple, Bravo, and IBM next to posts that tout Hitler and the Nazi party on X. An exodus of sorts followed. Global brands like IBM, Comcast, Discovery, and Disney began pausing ads on the platform. Owner Elon Musk called the report fraudulent, and company CEO Linda Yaccarino pushed back on the allegations Monday, saying, not a single authentic user on X saw IBM, Comcast, or Oracle ads next to the content that Media Matters reported. The CEO says only two users saw Apple's ad next to the content, at least one of which was Media Matters. Writing, data wins over manipulation or allegations. Don't be manipulated. Stand with X. The manipulation, according to X, is that Media Matters created a new account on the platform and then intentionally followed certain accounts to influence the type of content appearing on its timeline. X accuses Media Matters, media outlets, and activist groups of trying to undermine freedom of expression on X because they, quote, perceive it as a threat to their ideological narrative and those of their financial supporters. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is weighing in as well, announcing an investigation Monday into Media Matters for possible fraudulent activity. Paxton says they're closely looking at the matter to make sure the public hasn't been misled by what he called radical left-wing groups, accusing such groups of trying to limit freedom by reducing participation in the public square. Media Matters president responded to the lawsuit saying that the company stands behind its reporting and is looking forward to winning in court. X's lawsuit was filed in a federal court in Texas. It calls on Media Matters to immediately remove the report and seeks unspecified monetary damages. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Staying in the tech sector, more than 700 OpenAI workers have threatened to quit. That's unless ousted CEO Sam Altman gets reinstated and the current board of directors resigns. The letter also accuses the board of directors of lacking the competence needed to oversee OpenAI. But are their demands too little too late? Microsoft announced on Monday it was hiring Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, two of OpenAI's co-founders. Furthermore, the OpenAI board already named former Twitch CEO Emmett Shear to replace Altman. 95% of OpenAI employees signed the letter. It says Microsoft assured them there would be jobs available for all staff members. And we take a deeper look at the situation. NTD's Faye Quarter has a story.
OpenAI's organizational structure is very unique. At the very top is a 501c3 nonprofit, which controls the for-profit segment of the company. Investors like Microsoft own shares only in the for-profit segment. This way, the board of directors doesn't have to answer to shareholders. Tech reporter Kara Swisher said inside sources told her there was a misalignment between the for-profit and not-for-profit adherents at the company. She said she was told the nonprofit branch felt Altman was pushing things too quickly, like all the new features the firm introduced at its Developer Day conference. AI researcher Alex DeRitter was at OpenAI's Developer Day. You can be pro-monetization and pro-safety at the same time. Um, it, is, it is very difficult to determine what safety really is. Ritter says he doesn't personally see Altman prioritizing profits over safety. He says the real question is whether or not OpenAI has created something like artificial general intelligence, a hypothetical form of AI that could learn and think the same way humans do. Ritter speculates the board might be concerned about the possibility of handing that over to a giant for-profit corporation like Microsoft. Microsoft, a commercial entity, would basically have carte blanche understanding what they want to do with such a model, uh, which means that OpenAI's board of directors, which is mission bound to protect kind of such AGI releases especially, would, um, would have lost control over, over such technology. It would be in the hands of one of the most powerful companies in the world. Ritter says the invention of artificial general intelligence would be like the invention of electricity. At the time of its invention, nobody would be able to predict the massive ways it could transform the world. Board member Ilya Sutskever posted on X, I deeply regret my participation in the board's actions. I never intended to harm open AI. I love everything we've built together, and I will do everything I can to reunite the company. He wants Altman to return as CEO. Board member Adam DeAngelo, Helen Toner, and Tasha McCauley haven't commented publicly. None has responded to requests for comment. Altman can be returned as CEO if two or more board members vote for his reinstatement. Big Quarter, NTD News. TikTok is under fire from a group of House Republicans. They want to know how the platform amplifies content and just how involved the company's Chinese owner is. Georgia Congressman Buddy Carter is leading the charge, sending a joint letter to TikTok CEO Shouzi Chu. The lawmakers wrote that since the October 7th Hamas terrorist attack, disinformation related to the conflict has run rampant on the platform, stoking anti-Semitism, support and sympathy for Hamas. The letter also criticizes the app's Chinese ownership. It accuses the Chinese Communist Party of co-opting the platform and demands information on TikTok's algorithms. That's alongside longtime concerns about the app being used for surveillance and to collect American user data. TikTok said the Hamas content violates its policies and would be removed and that the reports of it trending were inaccurate. The congressional letter comes days after videos backing Osama bin Laden's letter to America went viral on the platform. And moving to some international news, China's economic challenges range from post-pandemic growth, deflationary pressure, a house market, housing market disaster, and shrinking factory activity, to name a few. But a new threat might be foreign capital waving goodbye to Beijing. A reporter from the Epic Times asked an economics professor to weigh in on what de-risking from China looks like. China become a threat is because uh, first China become very big and uh, China have, has uh, accumulated a lot of foreign reserve in US dollar. So China right now is able to interfere uh, many international affairs. Dr. Ten Pao Li, a professor of economics at Niagara University, says even though China is a threat, the US can't immediately cut ties because of the effects it would have on inflation in the global economy. New data from China's State Administration of Foreign Exchange shows third-quarter direct investment liabilities, a key measurement of foreign direct investment, at negative $11. billion. It's the first time it turned negative since 1998, standing at $14 billion the same period last year. Li believes one reason for a withdrawal of foreign investment was a shift in U.S. policy from decoupling to de-risking with China. In this country, if you're shopping at a Walmart or any other department store, everything from clothing, shoes, computer, uh, all the parts, everything, almost everything made uh, in China. 
The professor says looking long-term, the beginning of de-risking policy indicates moving sourcing somewhere else. Uh, realistically, that means you're going to uh, move your investment, uh, such as a factory uh, manufacturing, uh, to other countries. So gradually, I think it happened in the last two years. China's yuan slid around 6% against the U.S. dollar this year, touching its lowest level in a decade. Uh, right now, China is uh, in a very bad situation in the global economy uh, because of the, not only because of the de-risking uh, China and also because of uh, other geopolitical uh, development in the world. Lee says China's economic issues stand in stark contrast to U.S. inflation. In China, the issue is, uh, uh, the main issue is uh, unemployment. Uh, especially the uh, college graduates, the unemployment rate uh, like uh, uh, 20% a plus. And then the, the second issue is uh, in China is uh, deflation uh, because the, the demand uh, declined significantly. So the price declined. So they have a uh, deflation and we have inflation. And he says it gets even worse when you look at the real estate sector that makes up 30% of China's GDP. Lee says that puts the U.S. in a better spot to negotiate because of China's need for U.S. capital to support their markets and out of desperation to export. Over 200 mobsters were sentenced to prison in Italy's biggest mafia trial in three decades. An Italian court sentenced the 200 crime gang members to a total of 2,200 years in prison. The trial has been underway since 2021. Over 300 people were charged, 100 were acquitted. The trial was held in a specially built bunker in southern Italy. More than 400 lawyers represented the defendants and around 900 witnesses provided testimony. Those convicted included a lawyer, police chief and various politicians. The mobsters were convicted of charges ranging from mafia association, extortion, bribery and murder. Among the defendants were 42 women, which is a record for a mafia trial. 39 of them were convicted. And Iceland is on high alert. Officials are warning there is still a high probability of a volcanic eruption. More than 700 earthquakes were detected in the country's southwest this morning, raising fears that an eruption may be imminent. Here's the story. It's a race against time. Residents only have a few minutes to gather some items, then they have to get out of Grindavik fast. The town in southwestern Iceland is right in the path of a possible volcanic eruption. You had to leave quickly or? Yeah, Friday night. What was that like? Yeah, it was horrible. The brute force of steam from a massive underground magma stream already bursting through the streets and homes here, causing massive damage. Those rushing out understand their homes, their town, their community might soon be gone for good. Are you hopeful about the situation that maybe the town will be spared if the big eruption happens? Uh, regarding our house, no, not really. Because uh, the lava tunnel is, is laying very close to our house. So I, I, we are expecting to lose everything if, if it will erupt. I'm not sure about the town. It looks up. It's very... Have to go there and see everything. Iceland is in what's called a hot spot, where magma often breaks through the Earth's crust and can result in massive eruptions. And what happens here can affect large parts of the globe. In 2010, ash spewed into the atmosphere by a volcano in Iceland brought transatlantic air travel to a virtual standstill for weeks. After the break, we'll give you some tips to save money during this holiday shopping season and money-saving tips for your holiday travel plans. And millions of Americans hitting the road and taking to the skies for this holiday season. It could be the busiest travel season ever. Melita Weiskopf has more on the Department of Transportation's plans to avoid a repeat of last year's travel season disaster. So stay tuned. Good morning and welcome back. As you can see, we have our very own Don Ma with us today. Again, our business host. Yeah, that's because the holiday shopping season is right around the corner and we want to know about the best deals this season. So Don, thanks for joining us. Where do you go to get the best deals? 
All right, WalletHub actually emailed NTD some of their uh, research and uh, reports recently on, on uh, some of the deals that you can find this holiday season, and uh, they gave us their highlights. So let me just uh, give those, some of those points out to you guys. Mm. So for Black Friday, for those uh, who would like to go to in-store to uh, buy their stuff, uh, well, it seems like Macy's, JCPenney, and Belk are some of the best stores to get deals uh, an average of 55% discount, uh, at least here. So, you know, that, that's a very good tip here. I'm sold. Well, Kevin, let's all, yeah. let's all go together <laughs> on Black Friday. But uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, even though uh, some items, they say they're on sale, but in actuality, occasionally they may not be. So. For those who are extra careful, uh, you know, you can check out the thing that you want now, take note of the price uh, at this point, uh, and then check on Black Friday if it's actually cheaper, so you have a better idea there. Um, for those who is looking for furniture, uh, it, it seems like it's actually the least rewarding in terms of deals. Um, uh, but you know, if you want to get your coworker uh, something nice, like a gift card or, or something like that, I have some tips for you there as well. Uh, Starbucks, Sephora, and Target tops the list for 2023's best gift cards. Um, and for deals uh, specifically on certain items, just go to WalletHub.com. Uh, they have a great list that I checked out yesterday on specific deals on very specific items. If you want to check that out as well. Hmm, very good tips. And uh, of course, what is consumer spending going to look like, expected to look like this season? Well, according to uh, Walmart, one of the world's largest uh, retailers, uh, it seems like they're a bit cautious on consumer spending this, uh, this holiday season. Uh, this is, of course, because of inflation and rising interest rates. Uh, it seems like shoppers are, are pretty choosy because of that, uh, because of their wallets are a little bit tight right now. So they're looking for deals, uh, for example, Black Friday deals. And the National Retail Federation actually said this uh, holiday season in terms of spending, uh, the growth year is actually going to be a bit slower uh, than previous years. Um, and I think we're seeing that as well in terms of businesses, because uh, it seems like businesses are slowing their pace of hiring as well. And this potentially has something to do with consumer spending because if consumers are not buying as much, of course, businesses mm. don't want to overhire, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like there might be a milder outlook in terms of uh, consumer spending this holiday. Right, but I'll add that gifts are actually expected to go up, the purchase of gifts, which is nice. It's Well, it's, it's because good. of this report. Yeah. That, gifts uh, to co-workers, huh? You're ready to send us your wish list. <laughs> yeah, but that's even though consumers are said to expect higher prices. So it's even extra selflessness, which is great. Well, that's good news. Yeah, but what about the roads, Don? This holiday trips are uh, going to be probably a little bit you know, congested? Do we have any uh, update on the travel this year? Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, at least according to AAA, uh, it says more people will drive uh, to their holiday destinations uh, this year compared to last year. And the good news is that gas prices are expected to be at the lowest level since 2020. Uh, just a few tips here to save money if you're going on a road trip. Plan your trip, uh, especially for longer drives because gas prices vary quite a lot uh, in different states, allowing you to shop around uh, for prices a little bit. And another tip is to take advantage of credit card perks. Consider signing up for loyalty programs uh, to get discounts or use a rebate credit card. Or you can just skip the credit card entirely and use cash. Some gas stations actually offer cash discounts. And just another tip, it's probably not something for everyone, um, but slow down driving slower can increase fuel efficiency actually according to some research and save you money in the long run but don it's a trade-off if you use cash to buy your gas then you don't get your points in your credit card well yeah i mean <laughs> it depends on on the person you got to see how much reward you get on your credit card versus the discount that you get from spending cash so it might be a personal decision here. might even be able to get you a flight with those points that's true that's true um well thank you so much don ma i appreciate your time today thanks yeah, thank you
And we want to stay at the holiday travel topic. So millions of Americans are hitting the roads and taken to the skies. This holiday season is expected to be the busiest ever for travel, with the peak hitting on Tuesday and Wednesday. Entity's Melina Weiskup spoke to travelers at Reagan National Airport. A record number of travelers for this holiday season. Around 50,000 flights are scheduled for the day before Thanksgiving this week. Around 30 million passengers are expected to be screened through airport security checkpoints between last Friday and next Tuesday. Every year we go down south to New Orleans and have some good southern food. <laughs> so I'm going back to see family. My granddaughter's birthday is on Thanksgiving and I'm expecting a new grandbaby any day now. Data shows that ticket prices are supposed to be around 13% cheaper this year, but passengers tell us they have only seen a minor difference. They were cheaper than if we went tomorrow. Much cheaper. <laughs> so it's pretty average. Um, I think it was still a little pricey. Yeah, it was definitely a little bit cheaper than it has been in past years, so that's nice. And while TSA says it's bolstered up air traffic control staff and pressured airlines to avoid the same mistakes last year, the agency tells travelers to still be prepared for bad weather. There is some bad weather expected that could affect Thanksgiving travel. This bag is full of like coats and hats. Going back in, I think it's supposed to get a little bit cooler um, than it was when we took off today, so definitely worried about winter storms rolling in at some point. So, And if your flight is canceled or significantly delayed and you choose not to rebook, the Secretary of Transportation reminds you that you are entitled to a full cash refund. Reporting from the Ronald Reagan Airport here in Washington, D.C., Melina Wisecup, NTD News. Good point. I think we should all check out those refund policies. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Well, and also for those that want to have more specifics on the weather, we have a interview coming up. But generally, I guess my rule of thumb now talking to different experts just personally is just take an early flight, hit the road early. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Get to the airport early, check the schedules, exactly, Yeah. have a contingency plan. Exactly. All right, uh, we're heading to break. What's in the tens of thousands of hours of footage of the January 6th Capitol breach? An author with initial access gives us a preview of what most Americans haven't seen. Good to have you back. Previously unseen footage of the January 6th Capitol breach now available publicly for the first time. What should Americans expect from the release of 40,000 hours of January 6th footage and what will happen next going forward? We hear an answer to this question from Julie Kelly, the author of January 6th and Declassified with Julie Kelly on Substack. So this is just the beginning, I think, of a rolling production of more than 40,000 hours of surveillance video that was captured by security cameras on January 5th, 6th, and into the 7th. Now, the Department of Justice has placed this archive under extensive protective orders in court and, of course, fought the release, House Republicans' release of this video, along with Capitol Police, who I guess the footage technically belongs to. But every single clip that's been used in court in a court proceeding has also been under protective orders. And now, Kevin, we could see why. I've seen a lot of this video. I was one of the few reporters who got access to this initially. Um, but what the American people haven't seen are clips that they saw over the weekend, which is Capitol Police and Metropolitan Police standing by open doorways, not attempting to close off access to the building, allowing hundreds of protesters to enter the building, doing nothing to stop them, not arresting them. Julie, many Americans have seen some of the footage of January 6th, and a lot of them have formed their opinions on the event. What do you make of the timing of this release? Well, it's late. Um, look, Republicans, when they took over uh, the House earlier this year, of course, Kevin McCarthy said that he would release this footage. It was part of the bargain of some people supporting him and voting for him as speaker. But he dragged his feet. I do know that his staff, I was working with his staff, were trying to figure out a platform uh, that was easily accessible to the public. You've got thousands of hours and I think hundreds of cameras, different locations throughout the building and outside. So it was a difficult task, but they should have prioritized it. I wish this video would have been 
been released six months ago. But here we are more than three years later, uh, or nearly three years later, finally uh, getting the truth to the public about what happened using the surveillance video. I look forward to the release of a lot more. And I think the American people should brace themselves to see uh, scenes and footage that they have not seen before, um, especially the conduct of police that day. Julie, this footage is reportedly non-sensitive, what's about to be released, but a Democrat who sits on the panel that oversees the footage says that it is sensitive and that there are security personnel within Capitol Police who re object to its release. Are there any sensitive parts within this tranche, do you expect? Of course not. And I believe you're referring to Jamie Raskin. I know that he uh, was on a big media tour over the weekend saying how this will embolden future insurrectionists and future domestic terrorists. Um, but look, showing the inside of a public building that millions of Americans can visit uh, and have visited to think that that footage is somehow uh, releasing it as a security risk is laughable. And we now know why people like Jamie Raskin and the J6 Committee and this Department of Justice and Capitol Police have wanted to keep this under wraps, except for, of course, the clips that they have produced and used in impeachment proceedings, given to documentarians like HBO, and of course, um, you know, used during their committee hearings. That footage is okay. But when it's released on the other side, clearly there is nothing from this footage that jeopardizes anything secure related to that building. They're not going to release evacuation routes like, quite frankly, the J6 uh, committee did with Nancy Pelosi's daughter documentary that shows her leaving the building. Thank you for bringing all this added context to this very important topic. Julie Kelly, author of January 6th and Declassified with Julie Kelly on Substack. Thanks, Kevin. You know, and some of the criticism of the release is that it's going to reveal these safe rooms that lawmakers use and other security issues. Mm. On the other side, there is an argument, right, it's just um, about being honest with the public. But let's see, 40,000 minutes. All right, we are going to a quick break. We'll be right back, so stay with us. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are today's top stories. Houthi terrorists release videos of a cargo ship hijacking as Israel's military puts footage of Hamas tunnel shafts and weapons hidden in hospitals and mosques. And hear what one terrorist suspect says about Red Cross buildings in Gaza. Israel versus Hamas is a conflict not just playing out in the Middle East, but in the streets and universities of American cities. And a new poll says Democrats are divided on who they support. Elon Musk is firing back at Media Matters, calling its report on hate content on the platform fraudulent. Will there be a mass exodus at OpenAI? Most staff say they'll quit unless their fired CEO is reinstated. But has the threat come too late? As the weather starts to change, travelers might face some roadblocks during their journeys. We get tips from an expert to help you plan your next trip. The holiday season also means holiday deals. We get some details from the host of Entity Business on how you can save this shopping season. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Today is Tuesday, November 21st. We're heading to our top news first. Houthi terrorists released footage yesterday showing their hijacking of a cargo ship and its crew in the Red Sea on Sunday. The videos show masked terrorists on speedboats and a helicopter putting a squad down on the ship's deck. The terrorists take control of the bridge and 25 of its crew members hostage. Some are wearing headbands with the Palestine flag and a Hamas spokesperson on it. The U.S. is demanding the immediate release of the ship and its crew. IDF spokesman Jonathan Conricus spoke on the attack on international shipping. Houthi terrorists uh, who are trying to make a statement here, and this is basically Iran pulling the strings behind the scenes, trying to apply more pressure on Israel. This should be a concern for the entire world. 
Israel's military has continued to release videos of Hamas infrastructure under and around Al-Shifa Hospital. A blast door found in a tunnel over the weekend has not been breached yet. Over fears it may be rigged with explosives. The IDF says troops there are looking for more shafts built by Hamas and that it will put everything on display for the world to see when the search is complete. The IDF also went over Al-Shifa's CCTV footage from October 7th showing what it says are Hamas operatives bringing hostages back from Israel. Hamas claims the video shows the two men in the video brought in for medical care. The IDF says they would have had to have passed at least five hospitals on the way from Israel to Al-Shifa. Footage of a weapons compound in a mosque shows RPGs, mortars and other explosives stored inside. Terrorist interrogations are also being released. One employee from the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry says a Red Cross building was used daily by terrorists to store rockets and guns. He says workers there knew but did not dare to confront Hamas. He said Hamas operates there because the IDF would not strike a target with 40,000 civilians in it. So far, the IDF says it has interrogated about 300 terror operatives and suspects. It's disappointment and frustration. Some family members of Israeli hostages described their feelings after meeting with members of Israel's war cabinet late yesterday. A cousin of a hostage shares his thoughts after hearing that taking down Hamas and rescuing those abducted are equally important. This is incredibly disappointing because I feel that at this point, when we know that taking down Hamas, we keep hearing from them, is going to take months or years, and it's going to take a long time. On the other hand, the other objective is time sensitive. People are dying. We know that for sure. Thousands of family members recently finished a five-day march from Tel Aviv to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's house in Jerusalem. The Prime Minister eventually promised they could meet with members of Israel's war cabinet. Hamas terrorists took about 240 hostages during the deadly cross-border rampage into Israel on October 7th. The White House yesterday briefly discussed its vision for a proposed new Palestinian authority after the Israel-Hamas war. National Security Spokesman John Kirby says what that would look like depends on the Palestinian people and would mean a Palestinian authority that has the credibility, legitimacy and support of all Palestinians. Kirby also cautioned the press about using the word genocide. He says the word needs to be used appropriately. Watch. But this word genocide is getting thrown around in a pretty inappropriate way by lots of different folks. Uh, what Hamas wants, make no mistake about it, is genocide. They want to wipe Israel off the map. They've said so publicly more than one occasion. In fact, just recently. And they've said that they're not going to stop. What happened on the 7th of October is going to happen again and again and again. And Israel is not trying to wipe the Palestinian people off the map. Israel's not trying to wipe Gaza off the map. Israel's trying to defend itself against a genocidal terrorist threat. Yesterday, President Biden answered yes when asked if he believes a deal to free some hostages is close. That was at the annual Thanksgiving turkey pardon at the White House. Israeli officials say Hamas took over 230 hostages, including Americans, during its October 7th terror attack. The U.S. believes 10 Americans are among them. Democrats appear to be divided when it comes to Israel's war against the Hamas terror group and a person's age may reflect where they stand. That's according to a recent Kinnipiac poll. In all, 56% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning voters approved of President Biden's handling of the conflict. But when you break it down by age, the poll shows only 24% of those under 35 approve of Biden's response. That compares to 77% of those 65 and older who support Biden on that issue. And that divide is also apparent when it comes to which side they sympathize with more, Israelis or Palestinians. Nearly three quarters of Democrats younger than 35 said Palestinians, while 45% of Democrats 65 and older responded with Israelis. In other news, 90 minutes, no audience. The details are in on a debate showdown between political heavyweights Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. 
The clash will highlight the differing leadership styles of the two governors. The pair will grapple over economic issues, inflation, immigration and crime. They'll try to persuade the nation that their vision is what the country needs. Fox News is billing the event as DeSantis versus Newsom, the great red versus blue state debate. Sean Hannity will host the debate on Thursday, November 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern. DeSantis trails former President Trump in most polls for the Republican nomination. While Newsom has thus far ruled out challenging President Biden, some see his recent trips to China and Israel as an attempt to raise his profile for a possible presidential run. A federal appeals court is signaling the Trump gag order in his federal election case would stand. In a hearing yesterday, the three-judge panel expressed doubt that the gag order infringed on Trump's First Amendment rights. But the panel indicated it may narrow the scope of the gag order. It might allow Trump to publicly attack special counsel Jack Smith, while the gag order on criticizing witnesses and court staff would remain in place. Last month, a federal judge issued the order restricting Trump's ability to target court personnel, witnesses, special counsel Jack Smith and his staff. An appeals court temporarily froze the gag order as the legal process plays out. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's the debate between whether or not Trump has free speech in this context to speak freely on those entities involved or whether or not that's mm -hmm. going to you know intimidate witnesses or other such things well certainly a lot of eyes on that so let's see yes and we're going to head into short break soon but here are some of the latest headlines for today a navy plane overshot a runway and went into a bay in hawaii yesterday a spokesperson said the coast guard responded but that rescue operations were quickly called off military officials say all nine people aboard made it safely to shore with no injuries the P-8A aircraft was landing at a marine base in Kanoe Bay. An oil leak off the coast of Louisiana may have spilled more than a million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. The Coast Guard says the leak was discovered Thursday near Plaquemines Parish. Authorities say three skimming vessels are working to remove the oil from the ocean's surface. Main Pass Oil Gathering operates the 67 miles of pipeline. The company shut it off Thursday morning. The Coast Guard is still working to figure out the extent of the spill. So far, there are no reports of it impacting the shoreline. Coming up, social media company X is accusing Media Matters and activist groups of trying to undermine free speech on its platform. We have more in a lawsuit filed by X yesterday. And as the weather starts to worsen, holiday travelers can expect to face some roadblocks. Get tips from an expert to help you plan your next trip. With the holiday shopping season upon us, we're bringing in the host of NTD Business for the latest deals and tips. All that and more coming up. Thanks for staying with us. Lift off in a legal case involving the social media company X. Elon Musk made good yesterday on his weekend threat to launch a quote thermonuclear lawsuit against the so-called watchdog group Media Matters for defamation. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the case. It all began with a Media Matters report published last week. The report claimed that researchers found ads for companies like Apple, Bravo, and IBM next to posts that tout Hitler and the Nazi party on X. An exodus of sorts followed. Global brands like IBM, Comcast, Discovery, and Disney began pausing ads on the platform. Owner Elon Musk called the report fraudulent, and company CEO Linda Yaccarino pushed back on the allegations Monday, saying, not a single authentic user on X saw IBM, Comcast, or Oracle ads next to the content that Media Matters reported. The CEO says only two users saw Apple's ad next to the content, at least one of which was Media Matters. Writing, data wins over manipulation or allegations. Don't be manipulated. Stand with X. The manipulation, according to X, is that Media Matters created a new account on the platform and then intentionally followed certain accounts to influence the type of content appearing on its timeline. X accuses Media Matters, media outlets, and activist groups 
of trying to undermine freedom of expression on X because they, quote, perceive it as a threat to their ideological narrative and those of their financial supporters. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is weighing in as well, announcing an investigation Monday into media matters for possible fraudulent activity. Paxton says they're closely looking at the matter to make sure the public hasn't been misled by what he called radical left-wing groups, accusing such groups of trying to limit freedom by reducing participation in the public square. Media Matters president responded to the lawsuit saying that the company stands behind its reporting and is looking forward to winning in court. X's lawsuit was filed in a federal court in Texas. It calls on Media Matters to immediately remove the report and seeks unspecified monetary damages. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. More than 700 OpenAI workers have threatened to quit. That's unless ousted CEO Sam Altman gets reinstated and the current board of directors resigns. The letter also accuses the board of directors of lacking the competence needed to oversee OpenAI. But are their demands too little too late? Microsoft announced on Monday it was hiring some Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, two of OpenAI's co-founders. Furthermore, the OpenAI board already named former Twitch CEO Emmett Shear to replace Altman. 95% of OpenAI employees signed the letter. It says Microsoft assured them there would be jobs available for all staff members. And for those traveling, Governor Kathy Hochul warned about some extreme winter weather, but where exactly and will it affect your travel? Let's talk to Randall Bass from Bass Weather Services. Good morning. It's great to have you on. Uh, so first, for people that want to travel this week, what should they generally expect? Well, today is uh, definitely going to be the worst travel day of the week. Uh, there's a, a big uh, storm uh, centered over the... Uh, uh, Ohio Valley right now with a cold front that's pushing through the entire East Coast. So today there's going to be a lot of rain and a lot of wind uh, almost from Florida up to uh, to New York and, and even into Maine. Wow, so everybody stay home today. Um, what about the 50 million that are expected to be on the road? Is there anything they should be prepared for the rest of the days? Sure. Today, like I said, today's going to be the, the worst day of the, uh, of the traveling week, uh, especially the I-95 corridor today from, uh, say, North Carolina up through about Philadelphia, and then tonight from Philadelphia through, uh, uh, say, Boston area. Uh, again, a lot of rain, uh, possibly two to three inches in some areas, uh, winds uh, gusting up to uh, 40 miles an hour. So it's going to be pretty treacherous on the roads uh, for that region. And then upstate New York through uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, as you just mentioned, they may see some uh, winter weather, some uh, uh, sleet, uh, freezing rain, and, and a little bit of snow for that region. So uh, traveling conditions are definitely going to be treacherous in, uh, in that area, both today and uh, tonight. So do you think flights will be okay, or is that too, um, will they be canceled too? Unfortunately, flights are going to be uh, impacted, especially today. Uh, this morning, uh, for example, I could see some delays in Chicago and uh, Detroit. Uh, later on this morning and uh, through the afternoon, Atlanta, Charlotte, uh, uh, the New uh, uh, Washington, D.C. area uh, airports could be impacted. And then again, uh, especially tonight, uh, Philadelphia, New York, and, and the Boston uh, airports uh, could be impacted. So. Uh, uh, definitely not going to be a great travel day today, but uh, things uh, certainly improve for uh, Wednesday. Hmm. That sounds good. And what about, you know, Thanksgiving Day itself? Will that be dry and nice weather? Well, the majority of the country, actually, it will be. Uh, temperatures may be a little bit cooler than usual, but uh, for the majority of the country, except for maybe the Texas and Louisiana coast, uh, conditions are going to be dry. And uh, then for uh, Montana and uh, Wyoming, uh, uh, another cold front uh, pushes uh, in, from Canada down into that area. So skiers could actually see some snow in, the, in those regions and moving down into Colorado on uh, Friday. So uh, could be some good snow, uh, good skiing conditions for, uh, for the uh, Rocky Mountains this weekend. That's awesome. Always looking at the bright side. So thank you so much, Randall Bass. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. I love skiing. 
That's, yeah, well, this is your time, Kevin. <laughs> well, I'll just be here anchoring. I love that even more, though. <laughs> All right. Well, and we're moving topics. So earlier we spoke to Don Ma, host of NTD Business, to get some quick tips to save money going into the holiday season. Yeah, we asked how we can find the best shopping deals this holiday season. So for Black Friday, for those uh, who would like to go to in-store to uh, buy their stuff, uh, well, it seems like Macy's, JCPenney, and Belk are some of the best stores to get deals. Uh, an average of 55% discount, uh, at least here. So, you know, that, that's a very good tip here. I'm sold. Well, Kevin, let's all, yeah. let's all go together <laughs> on Black Friday. But uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, even though uh, some items, they say they're on sale, but in actuality, occasionally they may not be. So for those who are extra careful, uh, you know, you can check out the thing that you want now, take note of the price. Uh, at this point uh, and then check on Black Friday if it's actually cheaper so you have a better idea there. Um, for those who is looking for furniture, uh, it, it seems like it's actually the least rewarding in terms of deals. Um, uh, but you know, if you want to get your coworker uh, something nice like a gift card or, or something like that, I have some tips for you there as well. Uh, Starbucks, Sephora and Target tops the list for 2023's best gift cards. Um, and for deals uh, specifically on certain items, just go to wallethub.com. Uh, they have a great list that I checked out yesterday on specific deals on very specific items, if you want to check that out as well. Hmm, very good tips. And uh, of course, what is consumer spending going to look like, expected to look like this season? Well, according to uh, Walmart, one of the world's largest uh, retailers, uh, it seems like they're a bit cautious on consumer spending this, uh, this holiday season. Uh, this is, of course, because of inflation and rising interest rates. Uh, it seems like shoppers are, are pretty choosy because of that, uh, because of their wallets are a little bit tight right now. So they're looking for deals, uh, for example, Black Friday deals. And the National Retail Federation actually said this uh, holiday season in terms of spending, uh, the growth year is actually going to be a bit slower uh, than previous years. Um, well, thank you so much, Don Ma. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, yeah, Don. thank you. Was definitely were some really good tips, especially that we should check prices now and see if they're actually um, on sale. Yeah, you don't want them to jack up the price and then say they marked it down thinking yeah. of a deal. Listen, I have heard stories like that, and this is what uh, I'm generally suspicious now towards these things, but this is really, these are stories that my trust issues are made out of. You gotta sharpen the pencil, or in this case, a pen. Oh, yeah. Keep a close eye on that. But you know, when we talk about the timing, actually, Macy's and Target, they're open at 6 a.m. on Black Friday. Who gets up that early after eating all that turkey? Oh, listen, I'm sure there will be plenty. Not me, though. I'm still fast asleep because we don't have that many chances to sleep in, huh? All right, uh, we have to wrap up our show here, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. Stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.